Welcome to the Resilience Podcast. I'm Kobe Greer. According to reachout.com, it is normal for young people to push boundaries and take risks. Risk-taking can have positive and negative consequences and is an important part of their journey in finding their identities and becoming independent young adults. During adolescence, there are changes in the brain that make young people more focused on the reward they feel when they are admired by their friends and the positive reinforcement they get by being included. This is part of the reason why friends and peers become incredibly important during the adolescent years and why they feel real distress if they don't have the friends or are socially rejected. The areas in the brain that handle impulse control and planning also don't completely mature until about the age of 25, which would be a contributing factor to young people being more likely than adults to make quick and risky decisions. To talk more about young men and risk, I welcome back David Kernahan, CEO of Youth Legal Services. Welcome, David. Thank you, Kirby. So, David, you've chosen the topic of young men and risk. Can you outline why you have chosen this? Well, we all know young men who have taken risks, whether they're our sons and brothers or close friends. And often when the young men take risks, if they get away with it, there's a sense of almost surprise and wonder that they were able to successfully do the risk and, and have no consequences. But for every young man that gets away with taking a risk, there are an equal number of young men who end up being admitted to the emergency department of hospitals or who have some level of interaction with the justice system. And the consequences for these young men and for their families is often catastrophic. And at Youth Legal, we often, the lawyers are often dealing with young men who have taken risks and that has resulted in a number of charges being levelled against them. I suppose my own interest in the topic is not only um, professional but, but also personal in the sense that as a man I have taken my fair share of risks. Um, my son died as a consequence of a risk he took so I understand the catastrophic effects that can go when risks happen <clears throat> that don't turn out. And now I'm watching my sons and my grandsons grow up and beginning to take risks. And so I have reflected on and continue to reflect on what it is about young men and risk-taking behaviour that can be so problematic. Mm -hmm. I think before um, we go on, I do need to sort of make one caveat to that in talking about men, I'm not um, implying that women don't take risks. Yeah. <laughs> I think women do take risks. Um, but as a man, I don't, um, I don't fully understand or I'm not in a position to talk about the psychological aspects that would cause a woman to take risks as against a man. Thanks, David. So, David, do you think we should encourage young men to avoid risk? No, I think risk is inherent in life. 
um, even the most pleasurable things in life have a measure of risk. Um, for example, falling in love. We risk having our heart broken or we risk that the person that once entranced us bores us witless <laughs> after a few years. <laughs> Sex, for all its pleasure, carries risk. But I think what often happens in society is we hear risk and we think of danger. And while it's true that some risks do carry a dangerous element, often risks, the dangerous element can be mitigated um, so it's not as risky. For example, if you're climbing a tree and you have a harness on, it may be still risky, but the dangerous element is reduced because of wearing a harness. Climbing the same tree without a harness would be risky and dangerous. And I think as men, we need to talk openly and honestly with our sons and with our young men in our lives about the fact that sometimes risk can be constructive, but sometimes risk can be dangerous. And we need to know and be open about the difference between the two. And I think sometimes as older men, as fathers, we can have this subtle pride when our sons engage in risky behaviour that is also dangerous and they get away with it because there's almost this sense of reflected pride that my son's being a man and he's getting away with it. A bit like that song, The Cat's in the Cradle. You know, he'd grown up just like me. My son was just like me. Um, and while it's natural as a parent to feel pride in your children maturing and growing up, I think we need to be very careful as men that we don't link risk-taking behaviour, and particularly risk-taking behaviour that is dangerous, with emerging masculinity. I think that becomes a very toxic connection that often causes problems. I think that's really key what you're saying here, David. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more about that link? Well, I think when we talk about this link and, and the toxicity between risk-taking behaviour being linked to emerging masculinity, I think one of the things is that you know, young men can often think, the bigger the risk I take, the more of a man I am. Um, and we can see some of this element in, like, male drinking culture. The more I drink, the more of a man I am. The problem with that is, what happens when your mate engages in a bigger risk? Is he a bigger man than you are? Do you then have to compete to show him and convince yourself that you are just as much a man even though he's taking the bigger risk? And so what happens with when that in that scenario is that you get a sense of masculinity that's based on performance and competition. And so being a man is not something that I grow into with any sense of confidence or calmness, but it's something that I'm always competing to prove, either to myself or to other people, that I am a man. And this, 
This, of course, creates a defended and fragile masculinity because um, my mates, the people who should be my friends, are actually my competitors in this arena of maleness. And what will often happen is that particularly young men, feel that, well, I can't be honest with my mates because if I'm honest, I'm going to show some level of weakness. And if I show some level of weakness, that means that I'm not a man and so I can't, I can't be open and honest with my mates. I think another aspect of this um, link between risk-taking behaviour and, and masculinity is that often men are, particularly young men, are more afraid of being seen as less than a man than they fear the consequences of the risk. Um, you know, fear is a healthy emotion. Fear is necessary to keep us safe. But when we have a competitive model of masculinity, the things that young men should be afraid of are often denied over this fear of not being seen as male or as a man. And so what young men often learn to do is that they learn to suppress or to hide their fear. And we know that, um, you know, suppressing any emotion, be it happiness, fear, whatever it is, if we suppress it, it has a flattening effect on all our emotional expression and suppression of emotion can often contribute to risk-taking behaviour. And the reason that occurs is because when we flatten emotion, when we suppress our emotion, often we don't feel anything. You know, men will often say, well, I don't... I don't feel anything. And so risk-taking behaviour, using alcohol and drugs in a risky way, often helps a young man to feel something. Not in a constructive way, but in a detrimental way and in, and in a dangerous way because they have suppressed those emotions that would perhaps guide them to take risks in a healthy way. If that makes sense. Total sense. There's a, like a disconnection <coughs> between what's going on within them. That's um, right. Like through that suppression. That's right. not connected to that vulnerability. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so you, you have this competitive model of masculinity. Um, but then, of course, not all young men um, are necessarily competitive. There are actually young men that are quite... Um, I suppose, more reserved, intuitive, uh, cautious by nature. Um, and the competitive model of masculinity is problematic for them because they feel that they can't compete. And then if their father or the male figure who is predominant in their life starts to become anxious that they aren't being man enough, then that often causes great anxiety and um, problems for the young man. Um, 
young men can often feel a sense of failure or a mm. sense of shame that they aren't man enough. And I think it's important, you know, as as a father to other fathers, I would say, you know, if you are um, anxious about whether your son is man enough, then you need to take a deep breath <laughs> and step back because this is your son's journey. It's not your journey. And I know, you know, just as a personal example, when my son was going through adolescence, one of the most difficult tasks I found in being his father was to continually step back in a considered way that would allow him to own and to take control of his own power and his own authority. And often as fathers, we... We don't give our children that space because of our own anxiety about our masculinity. And if you're in that situation, then, you know, it's really up to you as the older man, as the father or the father figure, to, to address the issues in your masculinity rather than to be projecting it onto your sons. And I think the other thing we need to remember is that, you know, our sons, our young men at 15, 16, 17 aren't the young men they're going to be at 25, 26, 27 or even 45, 46, 47. We often have this sense that, you know, we need to be male, we need to be masculine, we need, as if it's a fixed identity. Mm -hmm. The reality is life presents different circumstances, different situations that allows our sense of who we are as a male person to grow and to develop if we allow it. So it really is allowing, stepping back and allowing sons who may be, or young men who may be less competitive, the space to be authentically themselves. And um, can, you, can you just recap on some of those points? Because it sounds as though, you know, as a society, we get caught up in this cultural aspect that, you know, conforming to this sense of what masculinity is. Um, yeah, if you could just stress a, a little bit more on those points, please, David. Yes, I, I think we need to be careful as a society that we are not perpetuating a level or an attitude or a perspective where risk is equated to a young man's sense of masculinity or sense of themselves. Um, because as I say, this creates that competitive sense of masculinity. Um, Competitive masculinity results often in dangerous risk-taking behaviour. Even for young men who don't compete, there is um, the very real sense of, or potential, excuse me, of um, anxiety and depression because they feel less than. Yeah. 
yeah. and excluded. Excluded from. Mm. And so you will often have, you know, young men who will be using alcohol and drugs in a dangerous way, dangerous and risky way because they feel excluded and because using alcohol and drugs helps them to feel included. Mm. And, you know, one of the other things that I don't think we pay enough attention to is the impact of shame in young men's lives. Now, particularly for young men who perhaps don't have that um, stereotypical sort of good at sport, um, you know, um, that sort of, I suppose, jock perso persona, if you like, for someone who feels perhaps... Um, and I don't like using this term because it's... But I suppose a softer male, mm. and I use that in inverted commas, and I use it carefully, but I think often, you know, for a young man in that situation, there is a deep sense of shame that they feel that they are not more competitive. And the, the shame results in them feeling flawed. And once you get a flawed, a man with a flawed sense of his personhood or his masculinity, the chances are that he is going to engage in risk-taking behaviour that is dangerous increases. Yes, that makes sense. Um, or the fact that, you know, his, um, the risk to his mental health there will be a risk to his mental health because of the anxiety and the feeling of exclusion. Mm. So it really is about, as a community, developing, um, I suppose, models of what it is not to be male but to be a person and to respect the differences that within the broad umbrella of what it is to be a person who is male, there will be those that will be... Um, perhaps more at the sort of, as I said, the, the jock persona. There will be those who will be more sort of intuitive, who will have a different way. And that is not, that is not a cause of shame. That is not any sense of being flawed. It is just a difference of their personhood that needs to be cultivated and honoured within our society. Does that? Oh, it's so much. So um, what I'm hearing is it's really um, developing a culture where individuals can embrace, embrace their identity, their personal identity, yes. um, regardless of, um, you know, whether, you know, sexuality, ability, That's gender, right. um, but embracing... Mm. Embracing self. That's right, definitely, mm. definitely, yes. So what do you think is the real risk fathers need to teach their sons? I think the real risk is the ability and the willingness to reveal ourselves emotionally, to develop emotional intelligence. I think as fathers, father figures, as older men, we need to um, model emotional intelligence for the young men in um, our lives. 
Um, you know, I've said before that one of the consequences of, of competitive masculinity is that um, your mates are your competitors, and so we don't share um, perceived weaknesses with them. And what often happens, I think, for many young men, when the loneliness and the sense of isolation gets too much, <coughs> excuse me, one of two things will generally happen, and I, I'm speaking generally here, but if they're reaching out to a male friend or a mate, they'll often need to be three quarters tanked on alcohol, and they'll need to have another beer close by so that if the disclosure goes wrong, they can laugh it off and say, oh, don't worry, mate, it's just the alcohol, just the booze talking, I'm good. <clears throat> the other option is that the man will talk to a girlfriend or a female friend. And usually when speaking to a female friend or a girlfriend, the same level of alcohol isn't needed. <laughs> but... In many ways, speaking to a female friend or a girlfriend has its own potential problems. Because what often happens is that the, the woman, either the girlfriend or the friend, female friend, becomes the, the explainer of the man's emotions. So the man's feeling something, he feels upset by it, he talks to his female friend and she explains what it is he is feeling and what he is going through and how it makes sense. This puts an awful burden on the female friend or the girlfriend. And often young women can find that, you know, really sort of um, attractive I suppose in the early days of a friendship or a relationship, the fact that they feel they can understand their partner. But often they f women find out too late that they've actually married a four-year-old boy in a man's body because the man is not taking responsibility for his own emotional welfare. And we wonder at the rise of domestic violence and family violence when a man will not take responsibility for his emotional state, but projects it onto the woman and expects her to understand, to interpret, to, um, to explain it for him. Mm. So, yeah, I think, you know, as, as older men, we need to take the risk. We need to take the risk to be emotionally literate ourselves and then to demonstrate that to the young men around us. So what's the difficulty in practising that? Um... Well, I think often it's fear. Mm. Um, you know, I've spoken before about the subversion, how men, we subvert, we, we suppress, we hide fear. Um, you know, and often for... Many young men, for example, emotion is the only emo is the only sorry anger is the only emotion they are left with, um, and this is I suppose the disparity because the young man feels incredibly angry, and he appears out of control, but it's actually the anger that is allowing him to be in control. 
because when he is angry, he doesn't feel the fear. So he feels masculine. But he also, in feeling anger, he also keeps other people away. No one's going to come close to him. So it allows him to be in control. So what appears to be out of control, it actually allows the young man to be in control. Um, but men are, are fearful of intimacy. Um, many men, I should say, are fearful of intimacy. Um, and going back to the example of a young man talking to his girlfriend or a female friend about the emotion, his, his emotion, often what happens is once he has disclosed that, then he feels vulnerable, he feels like he has opened himself up too much, so anger allows him to get back in control. And so you get this, almost this dance of sort of intimacy and anger, which becomes very destructive in any sort of relationship because there's no, there's no solid um, foundation, I suppose, for um, the partner to develop trust and confidence in how the man is going to respond. Absolutely, because it's through that vulnerable place, isn't it, between, you know, um, within a couple, that's where true connection, where true intimacy is. That's right. And so if it's, it can be... So what I'm hearing is, you know, for a man who is angry and has that perceived control, that pushing away, this yeah. is that the, the disconnect once again. That's right. Yeah. In That's right. Creating relationship and connection. Yes, yes. Mm. And because there's a disconnect within the man himself. Absolutely. You know, there is a disconnect within the relationship because the man is disconnected from his emotional landscape. Mm. He is blaming um, rather, you know, when we have emotional literacy, we don't have to blame the other person for what we are feeling. We can say, yes, I am angry, not because you, my partner, have made me angry, but I am angry because this is my response, so I will take responsibility for it, and in taking responsibility for it, I know that I can manage it without lashing out. Absolutely. Um, so that... I suppose that is the real risk of masculinity, <laughs> of being male, to actually be able to know what we are experiencing and taking responsibility for it. And this is the irony, you know. We take all these physical risks to demonstrate that we are male, that we are masculine. But the real risk of that emotional literacy to be able to own to be able to understand, to be able to <clears throat> have the confidence to manage our own emotional landscape. Those things which would really determine us as men, we are often too afraid yeah. to take. And because when, when that personal responsibility is taken, it is about... It is about the young man learning to self-soothe and that, right. that um, emotional regulation in regard to, 
okay, what do I need to do to calm down? What do I need right now to, you know, do I need to take a walk? Do I need to leave the room? What do I need to bring my nervous system back into a a more regulated state? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's right. And often, you know, the ability to come into, you know, more regulated states starts just with, you know, the simple act of taking two to three deep breaths. Yes, yes. You know, and and as men we don't... Because we aren't familiar with our own emotional landscape, when emotions flood us, we feel, I don't know how to deal with this. Mm. Whereas if we understood our emotional landscape and we get those waves of emotion coming through, we can notice it and still have the space to say, okay, two to three deep breaths, what do I need to do? Do I need to take five? Do I need to go and walk the dog? Do I need to go and kick the football? Um, You know, it gives you that space in which to make constructive responses rather than just simply lashing out because we are afraid of our emotional storm. There's so much power in that pause, in that space. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So you, you have touched on some of this already, David, but um, if you can add, what has emotional literacy to do with risk? As I say, emotional literacy, I think, is is the biggest risk that we can take Mm. as men. It is the healthiest risk that we can take. I mean, we've spoken about situations of, excuse me, we've spoken about situations of anger within relationships. Having emotional literacy allows us to manage conflict within relationships in a healthy way rather than lashing out in violence. But it's not just dealing with anger within relationships. That's one example. You know, one of the issues that men are facing is an increased, you know, the, the statistics demonstrate, you know, men often struggle with depression. Now, again, if we don't know our emotional landscape, how do we know we're depressed? If we can't name that feeling of being down, how are we going to get treated for it? And so, you know, emotional literacy is important, not just in terms of our relational health, it's important in terms of our own mental health and often our own physical health because, you know, we often deny what we are, what our bodies are telling us because, you know, we're men, we'll, you know, we go to the doctor when we're dead. Um, So being able to have that emotional understanding of what our bodies are telling us and what we are experiencing allows us to get treatment for depression much earlier. And we know that, you know, the sooner you get treated for things like depression, the better the prognosis is going to be. Often, men will wait until they are severely depressed, but then the recovery process takes so much longer um, for them to get back to feeling okay and the reason it takes so long is because they weren't aware that the feeling of being down 
was just that depression increasing in its intensity. So, as I said, you know, as, as older men, I think we need to stop reinforcing false standards of masculinity. <clears throat> we, need to, we need to understand that our sons are not men because they, you know, can drink the next bloke under the table. The young men in our lives are not men because they can punch the living daylights out of someone that looks at them the wrong way walking down the street. Mm. The young men in our lives are not men because they drive fast cars or have unprotected sex. Our sons are men when they have the understanding and the maturity to take responsibility for their emotional well-being in constructive ways that are respectful, caring and compassionate towards others. Compassion is a male emotion, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So for the young man who tries to be emotionally open and honest about his feelings, and if it doesn't go as expected, <coughs> yeah. um, have you any advice or suggestions there? Yeah, I, and this will this will often happen. You know, we we try to be emotionally open, and it doesn't go well. Our natural response as men is we think, oh, I'm not, never doing that again. I'm just going back into my, you know, back into my shell as a man and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a man. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it is, rejection is hard. Um, but again, taking responsibility for our own emotional well-being means that we learn how to cope with rejection. Rejection is part of life. We are going to be rejected. We're going to be rejected in relationships. We're going to be rejected in employment situations. Mm. There are a whole host of circumstances we're going to run into in life where we are going to be rejected. And it may not be about us. It may be about the other person. The other person that we are speaking to, in their journey, they may be at a different level of emotional awareness than us. That's nothing to do with us. That's their journey. So it's about being able to say to young men, yes, we are going to be rejected. That doesn't mean that we go back into the cave and, you know, put up the walls. It just means that we take a deep breath. We think about, so what am I learning from this experience? in terms of emotional vulnerability, how can I continue to be emotionally vulnerable, but respecting where another person is at? How do I cope with rejection in a healthy way that doesn't activate shame that I may be feeling, but just accepts the fact that rejection is part of life? And I think it's when you know, when as, as men we take emotional responsibility, when we take the risk, which is the real risk of being a man, that um, we can then 
be at peace within ourselves in a far deeper way than taking some external risk to prove something that may potentially put our lives, the lives of other people, at risk and be dangerous to our health. Absolutely, yeah. David, this was such a, an important interview to have for, um, you know, our future generations and for, you know, current fathers and grandfathers. Mm. I thank you for your time. Pleasure. Thank you.